Your hand opens and closes and opens and closes. If it were always a fist or always stretched open, you would be paralyzed. Your deepest presence is in every small contracting and expanding. The two as beautifully balanced and coordinated as birds' wings. So that's a poem, or part of a poem, transposed by Coleman Barks in his book The Essential Rumi. Um, obviously written and inspired by uh, the great Persian Sufi mystic and poet Rumi back in the 13th century. I'm John Fanning and this is the Create with John Fanning podcast. How's it going out there? Hope you're all doing well. On this the 23rd episode of my series of episodes on the imagination uh, based around my book Creating. So last time I spoke about limits and genre and numbers but today I want to talk about balance and health and a bit about notebooks. Uh, ordinarily I'd split some of this up into several episodes as such but I feel like they're all very interconnected so please bear with me as I ramble on a little longer than usual so I can unpack uh, what I see as the connections between them. So uh, I want to start um, with a story. There, there, there's a poet, or more just about a person, a, a poet who goes to Lemuse. Again, that's our retreat. If this is the first episode you're listening to, uh, that we found it in the south of France about 20 years ago now. Anyway, this poet, she's a uh, very wise soul, and to her, poetry, much like uh, Rumi, is a sacred practice, and it's one of self-actualization and self-evolution. And when she's stuck on a poem, she walks, and when there are no poems coming, she walks. So one morning she was coming back from a two-hour hike, what she calls or likes to call walking meditations and she was glowing and joyful and you know I said to her it looks like you had a great walk and she went uh, oh John it was wonderful and so I asked her did something come to you and she said yes uh, a whole poem actually it just dropped in and she tapped her pocket uh, beside her hip and she said, it's all in my little notebook. Uh, I wrote it sitting on a rock looking at the Pyrenees. And I said, that's great. And she said, no, no, it's, it's not great. It's wonderful. Uh, and so she walked off all happy into the main gates and little muse. But so to me, she's a classic creator. And why, why do I think that? Well, because she gets inspired because she's taking care of her spiritual and physical needs which in tandem help her mental health, but at the same time uh, focuses her consciousness on creation. And then when it comes, she has a pen and notebook on her to get all down in the moment as such. And, you know, she's not alone with this. You know, Michelangelo, Picasso, 
Da Vinci, Tolstoy, they were they were all healthy creators like her. Uh, they created a space for inspiration and then created. And I don't mean they did yoga or meditated or ate well or had some kind of spiritual superiority complex. Maybe some did and some didn't. Um, it's just that it's just a different way of looking at health. So by creating, they became healthier, like my friend the poet. It doesn't matter what it is, so long as you create something. And for the majority of creators I've met, this leads to or involves a daily mental health regime of walking or meditating uh, or eating well. And a lot of times, a balance of all three of those into a practice. So, obviously, the psychopharmaceutical industry or the psychopharmaceutical industrial complex uh, doesn't want us to have this balance. It wants us to think uh, despair, suffering and having, you know, oftentimes just a bad day or some form of mental illness that should be solved by a pill that they've made. Obviously, you know, because you have to give them money for that pill again and again. So someone in the clinic said, um, it's so you take a pill. And like, oftentimes, um, you know, stuff like schizophrenia or chronic illness um, are very different than this. Uh, but th what I'm talking about are just the natural walls. Uh, I'm talking about natural mental health, and we that we create um, these walls when we're not in balance. And balance is not easy. We have to navigate the pain to create, and at times use the pain to create and feel the pain of others. And there are many ways to help balance mental health. Personally, I do yoga and do some Wim Hof breathing and jump in the ocean most days. <laughs> um, for the for for example, for the Irish writer and podcaster Blind Boy, a guy who I listen to a lot of time, he runs, does weights, and talks about how CBT or cognitive behavioral therapy has helped him and so many others enormously. And you know, this helps him do his music and his writing and his podcast. And then there are many others who involve themselves with different forms of programs, you know, one of the most famous being the 12-step program for addiction. So there are many ways of not allowing the mind to take over. And f for, a lot of, for a lot of people, that means adopting or adapting Buddhist principles to suffering or even Stoic principles. So they adapt to life by not trying to control what is outside and focus what's uh, like with CBT um, focus on the inside because anxiety is natural and good and bad feelings it's n it's nothing's that simple it's not this is good and that's bad you know it's uh, it's a blurring so Buddhism sees life as pain and suffering and that we have to sit with the suffering and watch it 
And by watching it, we see that happiness with a capital H is basically an illusion. For, for example, the future of buying something to make you happy, something you go into the store and go, oh, if I get this, I'm going to be happy. It's always transitory. So as, as, as the hippies used to say, and what many have signed, and what has been scientifically proven since, um, find something that allows you to be, to be in the now, like be here right now. Many people, not parrot this, but repeat this uh, in many different forms. So generally, not really completely, I'm not really completely down with Buddhism and Stoicism as they can ironically lack the very thing that I'm resistant to, i.e. Um, Catholicism or simply Christian charity, that whole Good Samaritan thing. So they see kindness and community as a bit out of their world because it's seen as a strength in not having to reach out to others or trying to discover a meaning or purpose in the Viktor Frankl sense of meaning. So one has to remain detached and yet be in the world. So that's that balance again. So basically, what I'm trying to say is to consider that stress in daily life leads to suffering, so we all need tools to counteract that suffering. Again, uh, some form of personal mental health regime. And the thing is to discover some avenue personal avenue for transcendence. Uh, that word itself, uh, transcendence, actually comes from the Latin uh, trans, which means over, and scandare, uh, to climb. So what's going on, going on or what's going to help you climb over or step over or transcend all this suffering? And we all have to tr choose our own tools as such. We do need some kind of uh, personal toolbox. Uh, it could be meditation or exercising and eating well, like I talked about before. Um, but, you know, eating well doesn't simply benefit the body or meditation or exercising. It, it benefits the mind and what many call the soul. So people in my field, like writers like Murakami, like Harukai Murakami or Motion Hamid, or so many others that run or walk as part of their creative practice. And then people outside my field, like like somebody like Gandhi, like an activist, or like he'd use his activism to create a whole new world by focusing on his um, daily personal health regime, um, like on diet and then on meditating so he believed like raw food was liberating as well as cleansing uh, nutritionally uh, but also monetarily because you don't have to spend a lot so i'm not you know i'm not advocating only eating raw foods or to write or paint a canvas and simply pointing to the fact that creative humans historically need needed balance or discipline and a health practice in in order to create and famously there are many who you know succumb to not having that um, support and mental health regime that end up passing before their time someone like van gogh will come to mind and many others but so with the advent of 
you know, growing urban environments and this invasion of modern technology affecting our mental health even more in contemporary society. Uh, we, we really, I feel like we really have to pay attention more to this balance. So at times this attention to balance can drive you a bit crazy too when you have so many people out there advising us on how to live in the world, you know, psychologically, physically, emotionally, spiritually. But in the end, we do need to need to own um, a personal balance mechanism or else we just can't create consistently. So if we don't have consistent balance in our health, then we don't have consistent balance in our in our creation and in our imagination. So I also want to look at balance from a different um, perspective to the, the like the active or more specifically to the act of creation itself. For example, if someone is not creating something, well, w well then uh, th they're probably doing the converse. They're probably destroying something, uh, maybe even themselves. And as I said in an earlier episode about Hitler stopping paint, he stopped painting. You know, look what he got up to afterwards. He literally started burning creations, books, and unfortunately then people so destruction is the complete opposite of creation but and what why is that it's because the mind takes over because the there is no balance it's when the thought structures compound against reality uh, against creation into into fear and obviously resultant hatred so again, mental health falls apart from a lack of balance, and balance comes from a healthy personal regime. And so thus creation comes from a healthy personal regime. The word often used today is the word holistic uh, when it's connected with this. So I suppose I'm talking about a holistic way of creating. As opposed to these cliches of what I talked about myths about you know um, all writers being alcoholics or crazy or you know um, a lot of the ones that I've come across are very balanced and they're all balanced in different ways but they, they create some form of balance and then if you just look at art therapy it actually you know that's a form of creation or creativity that actually helps with trauma and helps improve the health of of many people because like professional art therapists actually exist out there uh, which is a beautiful thing it allows people to imagine possibilities or to see a future that isn't the present moment of depression or despair so the imagination can actually lead to a healthy path I actually I have a I have a good friend um, Texan artist living in the south of France, he talks about this, this importance of taking on a, a daily creative practice. For example, uh, keeping a sketchbook or coloring with your kids and how just the simple act of creating sometimes filters into how you approach everything else. So it's more about maintaining your creative health than producing something original or earth-shattering. He says it's like or compares it to an athlete who trains regularly. 
to eventually maybe win a race. The point's to stay in shape and strive always to improve. And I saw many creators at Amuse who came to work on a series of paintings, a novel, a memoir, whatever it was. What they were really working on a lot of the time was some form of trauma or healing uh, and trying to find balance through their creations. Because creators who were abused or broken from divorces or others who had lost someone close to them, uh, their way of dealing with this loss was to retreat away from the world. To, And I'll talk about this idea of retreating um, in, a, in an episode, uh, in two, a couple of episodes from now. So the idea of retreating away from the world to a safe space towards creating something out of the imbalance so as to try to recenter themselves and to rebalance and it didn't matter what they were creating because whatever they created was about the healing they found in painting or trying to paint or writing or taking photographs or simply reading and meditating on creation because oftentimes the act of taking a pen or a a paintbrush up is not the painting or the writing. A lot of it can just be the research or the thinking about it or the planning it. So the this path or the path of creativity can often be one of healing. And if you ask most creators, many of them will tell you that creating helps them feel better. It helps them feel good. Uh, kind of like what I was talking about when I was talking about catharsis in an earlier episode. So, being, I suppose, being creative makes you feel replenished. But at the same time, at the same time, uh, <laughs> you know, there's always the converse. It also can exhaust you. But I see it as a kind of uh, positive exhaustion. So it tires and exhausts you in a good way. Jung actually talks about this uh, in his book *Modern Man in Search of a Soul*. He talks about a capital of energy every individual has. And and if we're not careful, we'll deplete it. And this creative force, he says, can, can drain you so much that your ego starts to create all sorts of negative qualities so as to keep your creative spark going. So, again, with that, the thing is to be balanced. Uh, so as not so, so as not to expend all your energy in one direction at the cost of other parts of your life. This is why it's important to replenish yourself in a different way after being creative. And I suppose the what are the two or the most important aspects of balance? I suppose they're being active, but at the same time, not being active too, like stop relax and daydream so be active but stop relax and daydream too again there has to be a balance between the two and yes this sounds contradictory but they're not they're simply two equal sides of of a scales i suppose um so be active if you don't move your body you don't move inspiration uh 
you don't move into creation. So micro movements as well as a daily practice, uh, ritually, basically unplug this daily practice of uh, unplug us from technology and move our body to re-energize it. So it could be walking for an hour, you know. Um, Aristotle walked with his students. Um, Nietzsche, he, he got the majority of his book ideas after about three quarters of an hour hiking. <laughs> and, uh, you know, Dickens, um, Dickens, he, he actually used to worry his friends because he used to walk so much. I think he used those walk that walking all around London to formulate his ideas for his books and his characters. I, I presume he, he used to sp speak the characters and people must have thought he was mad. But, you know, he's not the only one. Kierkegaard was the same way. He got inspired walking the streets of Copenhagen. And then there was Einstein and, and so many others. There's so many examples. You know, um, Beethoven, he was a huge walker too. And he always bring paper and pen with him in case inspiration came. Uh, much much like what I was describing with the poet from the muse I mentioned earlier. And which which touches on something else. Uh I I wanna take a moment just to, you know, take a take a, a kind of an important aside on as what I was talking about being interconnected, I've given two examples of creators using them now, notebooks. And I think they're, I think notebooks are very important. Um, da Vinci's notebooks are still with us over 500 years after his death and, and how wonderful they are to look at now. You know, I, I mentioned Van Gogh before, his, his letters, I suppose, are, Notebooks, I suppose. Well, not so much notebooks, so I'm contradicting myself. But anyway, Da Vinci's notebooks. Um, in it, you, you get something like his Vitruvian Man, or I know, uh, anima, anima, his anatomy drawings, or um, his, his, all those countless notes, or those mad flying machines. So, uh, to me, I think all creators need uh, notebooks. Uh, you know, you can keep one in the toilet, or... Yeah, I'll put another one in the glove compartment of your car or in your handbag or or inside your jacket pocket or, I don't know, wherever it is that you feel that you spend a lot of repeated time, like beside your bed, perhaps. Uh, everywhere you regularly spend time. So the point is to have them and the point's being plural. Um, when you're not able to sleep at night you could write your thoughts or your di ideas into a notebook which is a great way of getting back to sleep again because then you got the crap out of your head so they might be fantasies but they they could also be amazing ideas they could be the seeds to a book or i know a gadget or an app or a song or a painting and some people use their phone to record these seeds while they drive others have notebooks in their office um, but with time and by a process of winnowing uh, you will hear sorry about the pinging damn phones uh, again technology getting in on my practice here <laughs> so with time and by a process of winnowing um, we can you can hear the voices and thoughts if you don't ignore them 
And so the quiet voice I talked about before is actually trying to inspire you when you when you take that time to get into a notebook. So I've I have a notebook for my novels. Um, I used to write construction ideas into another one, and you want um, you want them there for you always. So when you need to write something down, uh, it's there. So, but why? Um, well, because I suppose there's one. There's I suppose you can really see it as that there's four reasons for it. Um, the first, the first one would be like a daily practice, and then uh, the second would be um, they don't allow it an inspiration or an idea that you have to escape, and they turn you from a from a creative into a creator as opposed to this ping and drive me bonkers. Sorry. Um, um so where was I? Yeah. Oh, so the third one was uh they make you a a creator, not a creative, and then they don't let the ideas disappear. And then it, it gives you a practice. And then the fourth one was uh you know, they give you a safe space in which you have a relationship with yourself as opposed to with others, so you can go into it and just let go. So it's like a it's a it's a daily practice. It's a way to create to take the initial jump to move from a creative to a creator. So some call it automatic writing. Um, Julia Cameron, in her book *The Artist's Way*, uh, would call it morning pages. Many others call it something else. But you know whether you call it automatic writing or morning pages or just a uh, a brain dump or whatever it is um you just you just write into the journal whatever comes out on paper in a kind of stream of consciousness way and the first thing in the do it first thing in the morning and have a set scope of i don't know two pages or three pages it doesn't matter what you write the point is to get whatever's in you out onto the page and the idea that you'll remember what you taught this morning or yesterday, that's just rubbish. If you have a photographic memory, perhaps. But first you need the photo. That is, you have to write it down or sketch it first to see it or remember it. And, you know, these notebooks, they they can be whatever you're into. You know, it could be a like a carnet de voyage um, or bullet journals or moleskins like Picasso and Hemingway used to use. I just use legal pads, you know, these little legal pads. Because I enjoy ripping out the notes after I've transcribed them and thrown them away. But but over time, if you do it every day, you, you start to realize what notes are what. Some of it might be just rubbish. And in the bin beginning, it could be dreams or things that happened in the past or the present, something you read. It doesn't matter. You just write it down. And this idea I'm talking about right now came actually came out of a notebook I used to keep in my truck in France. I'd be waiting around for people, artists and writers, to come out of or back from where they were going. I would write notes into into the notebook. Now, if it wasn't there, I would never have had this idea to write about notebooks in or talk about them. Um, so most of this book came out of my notebooks. So. Where do you think I got this 
idea for this part of this chapter was, you know, from the notebook I was writing into. So, and you know, some of the old social media stuff has that. You know, Pinterest would be a perfect example of how powerful notebooks and journaling are. Because it's like, it's like being able to, to pry open the private journals and notebooks of countless other creatives and creators. So whatever comes into your mind, put it down. And, you know, don't edit. Just write, sketch, document. And don't investigate what, what you've created. You know, don't edit a paragraph you've just written or a design you just created just do the work because questioning and editing and refining all that stuff can be done later so it's this idea of just it's a place where you go to be easy on yourself and the work will come in time and you know a lot of time i just write down things uh, people say you know most writers they're all damn magpies you know <laughs> hear a conversation, start scribbling the stuff down, but if you don't have the notebook to take it down, or somebody comes up with an idea or whatever, um, you have to be able to record it, you know, or the things you see around you. So then look and read between the lines later on, because the inspirations are there. They're hidden in those pages, you know, a sketch or a doodle or uh, where, where, where you drew a map or, you know, bugs or, you know, you collect leaves or crush flowers. These are pieces of your day to piece together later on um, at a different time in your life when you, uh, they become more relevant. So, and as I said before, you do it for a set amount of time or when you get an inspiration. But soon it becomes second nature to go into a, a notebook. And when I'm waiting in a car, I go into a notebook. If I'm on a train or a plane or in a subway, or even in the toilet, you know, I'll be writing notes in a notebook. So, you know, and you don't have to get precious with them either. You can get the, you can get precious about how they look, but don't get precious about what you put inside them. And if you do, you'll start editing yourself. And again, write, don't edit. They're there to catch your inspirations, not to analyze them and oftentimes what we think is rubbish today is an epiphany in the weeks or or even months from when you wrote down your idea so if it's relevant to a uh, i don't know to a construction project um then write that so if it's if it's relevant to a novel or a poem or or i know like an invention write that but and and but why? Uh, well, because in a couple of months, when you come back to write up all those notes, you'll get inspired again while while inputting them. So the most important thing is to just write down your idea or your phrase or your words when they come to you. Um, if you don't, they'll fly away. You won't remember them. So I, again, I'm re-emphasizing this, but it's just don't think, just write. It's like be playful with it. If you think too much, you'll forget what it was you were about to write down. So just don't let them escape. So go buy some notebooks now. Uh, they're cheap. And uh, they're your space time or part of your space time for creation. And that's that's all it takes to get started. But, oh my God, my phone keeps pinging. I'm going to throw it out the window. Uh, sorry. But um, where was I? Yeah, yeah. So I've... 
this idea of notebooks is really important, but I, I want to get back to m my point um, of balance and consistent balance and how personal health and balance can make you you more create uh, make your creative world more consistent and the more consistent it is the more you can go into those notebooks consistently so if you sit at a computer all day you'll lose your mind in in the wrong way and your health and your balance so i was talking about the idea of relaxing and meditating and just stopping so you know we think about that this idea of daydreaming and you know just sitting in the bath and just relaxing like like archimedes did when he discovered the what's it called again the displacement they had a displacement of water when he and he stepped into that bath he was he was relaxed he wasn't thinking and that's when inspiration came and then there's an excitement he ran through the streets like a mad fella uh of the of uh, Syracuse, uh, book naked, uh, shouting Eureka! I found it. Uh, you know, a word now synonymous with discovery and invention. And of course, he's not alone in his search for tranquility. Uh, Einstein sailed, but uh, you know, he always brought a notebook, though. <laughs> like Archimedes, um, sailing was his way of relaxing and letting go. So inspiration could come so and then there's other creators like like the american writer henry miller who used to paint um and he, w when they can't write uh then they paint so he even wrote about this in to paint is to love again and painting is just another form of recharging his batteries as such so he could do his other work his, his writing work or whatever else you wanted to be creative in. So using a different part of your brain, your creative brain, allows other parts to rest and replenish too. So Miller's creative energy was replenished by a different form of creation, painting. So, you know, you could be a writer, but you could also be a crocheter. And, you know, these one lends itself to the other. So another thing as well, um, which is really important then. Eastern uh, Eastern mysticism talks about this as well, you know, how not just meditation and keeping your energy, your shen together is really important, but uh, your sleep helps too. It's, it's really important. Um, if you're not sleeping and not balanced in that, then you can't be balanced in trying to create. And in addition to that, then, you know, personally, I, I, I've been influenced by the Southern French thing of a siesta, which I do after lunch every day, nearly every day, like most of the people in the south of France. And I always wake up refreshed and clear. So this makes complete sense if you research sleep, too. So the, for the first 15 mi minutes being quiet sleep, it's, it's not um, rapid eye movement or active sleep which occurs afterwards you know after um that quiet sleep you go into rem so and salvador dali he bangs on about this a bit as well there's a lot of creators that do and there's a lot of not just um painters and artists but business people as well so in, in his book uh, 50 secrets of magic craftsmanship 
he writes about the magic of napping or CS. Um, he actually said it was a secret of his greatness. And, you know, he was a man that was, he was quite fond of calling himself a genius um, quite often. But he called his method um, slumber with a key. And he would sit in a chair in the afternoon with a big old key in between his thumb and his forefinger and a plate on the ground underneath. And he'd fall asleep and the key would fall out of his hand and hit the plate and wake him up. And he writes that this brief nap was all he needed for his physical and psychic being to get replenished. And again, as I said, world leaders stop and do this in the same way as do inventors and all kinds of creative individuals uh, like the inventor Thomas Edison and you know uh, you look at that Ronnie Reagan fella he, he was famous for his naps and John F. Kennedy too and he would do the same thing he'd take a, a nap after each lunch and his wife Jackie um, she actually got uh, Lyndon Johnson doing the same thing so and there's many other examples. Churchill was the same way, and Napoleon. Uh, there was the general. What was the American general? St Stonewall Jackson. He napped even even in the midst of war, because uh, he believed it helped him regenerate like the rest of them, and be able to think creatively then afterwards. So think freshly and uh, with more clarity. So if you think about it, it makes sense. You know, after eating a meal, your body needs to relax and use its energy to help digest your food. But it's also by decreasing your heart rate and allowing what they've discovered as sleep spindles to occur, you get to replenish yourself mentally as well. So your head becomes more clear and balanced. But, you know, getting back to this idea of daydreaming and just letting go, um, not just the sleep part of it, but you know, uh, dreaming while you're awake, like just daydreaming or or even dreaming itself. Like, like Paul McCartney said that he um, yesterday came to him in a dream, the song yesterday. So when we sleep, we imagine, well, obviously he must have had a notebook beside his bed, you know. <laughs> um, so uh, literally we imagine when we sleep um, in dream and images come to us our intuition comes and of course this isn't just McCartney this was like you know Frankenstein came in a dream too um, so did the general theory of relativity Mary Shelley woke in 1816 with the images of a man in in pieces being put together and Einstein dreamed of cows <laughs> cows getting electrocuted and arguing with a farmer that led him to to uh, think creatively, you know. Um, and as I said before, I do yoga and, and I meditate a bit. Uh, why do I? But then uh, oftentimes I say to myself, why do I waste my time with an hour and a half of yoga and meditation every day? Or why do I waste half an hour going for a walk now and again? Because it's not uh, really a waste of time. It's It's more of an investment in time. So the benefits come when I sit down to write or or to podcast or whatever it is I'm trying to create or be creative about. I, I'm clear. I have 
I'm not just clear, but I have energy. And I feel more, because ba- I feel more balanced. So I get inspired more often. So on my walks, I, I'll get characters or scenes or phrases will come to me. And doing yoga, uh, I'll write into my notebook. This very idea actually was written on a yoga mat. Because, you know, I had a notebook nearby. Because it's a place that I frequent. <laughs> so... Uh, there's another part of that as well. So when writing, uh, like every 20 minutes, I get up and take off my glasses and walk around my office. Obviously not when I'm doing a podcast episode, but, well, uh, at least I try to get up. And uh, I'm not succe- I'm successful most of the time, enough to keep me clear. And this is not my advice. This was the advice of my osteopath. and Because I kept getting, putting out my neck and hips because I didn't move from the same position for hours on end. Then when I moved, I get block A, as they used to put it in France, you know, the, because my body wasn't supple. I put a vertebrae out all the time. You're sitting in the same position the whole time. It's not, it doesn't bode well for, for the uh, physical health. So the body's needed to get your work done. So if you have to take care of it, even if it's only at the minimal level, it has to be balanced. So again, it goes back to this thing of being active, but... At the same time, remember to daydream or take a siesta at the same time. So get bored and take some downtime after, you know, running about or being active. Which which kind of leads into something else that's kind of uh, find uh, unusual. Because when we were kids growing up in Ireland, the national TV station didn't come on until, you know, well into the afternoon. It's not 24 hours a day now, like it is now. And there were no iPads or iPhones. or uh, So basically kids um, didn't say they were bored, you know. Um, uh, because, well, most of the times, because as soon as you said you were bored, you were told to, to weed the garden or get outside and school through the fields. So when you said I'm bored, uh, you wouldn't be put in front of a blue screen. You'd be off scaling trees and jumping ditches and chasing cattle and going on, you know, these little adventures. So we get creative. And when, so when you're bored, you get creative. You start to doodle. Again, <laughs> you doodle into your notebook. So um, so you start to play like, like we did when we were kids. And in my earlier episode on school and education, I mentioned an interview with the the Irish writer Alice Taylor, when she talked about children and the imagination. And here's a bit of that quote again. The glory of childhood. Children have their own magic. I have my own grandchildren. We have to give, and we give, We have to give them time to be children, not to cram their lives with too much activity. I don't mind them getting bored. I think it's good for them to be bored. They start exploring, then poking around and using their imagination. I think that's our greatest gift, our imagination. As Blake said, imagination is evidence of the divine. So I think that's really important what she's talking about because now kids have this like 24-hour cable news with all these gross reactive emotions being continually foisted upon them. You know, like storm of the century or another war coming or goddamn pandemic or someone getting killed. So... When I was a kid, I had no idea what was going on in the world. I was too busy creating my own world out in the fields. So even when a kid goes into their bedroom, they can't escape either. You know, there's always a TV on the 
on their blue screens, their phones or their iPads. So, you know, their phones start pinging like this damn phone has been pinging through this, throughout my this episode. And, you know, no- notifications are just banal rubbish, which is now seen as, you know, this natural human weather, you know, these pinging of phones. So all the time has to be filled in. Instead of not being aware of time out in the fields hanging from trees. So yes, uh, we were bored out of our minds in those fields when I was a kid. But at the same time, it also made us work our imaginations and we had to be creative to keep ourselves preoccupied to play, basically. Now being bored is seen as somehow, I don't know, unhealthy or unbalanced, you know, going back to the idea of balance, which is quite frankly bullshit. I, I think boredom's wonderful. But when does it happen now? Or, or, or does it really? You know, are we are we allowed to get bored? Uh, are we allowed to daydream now? It's almost impossible. If we're not on the internet reading about, I don't know, the damn internet or whatever the hell we've been directed to from some feed, then we're checking the weather app on the phone to see what the weather's going to be tomorrow or how far away we are from the store on Google Maps. So it's a... It's a farce when you think of it. You're not allowed to get bored. You're not allowed to daydream anymore. You almost have to make a concerted effort to get bored. So perhaps there should be classes or or workshops on boredom. You know, how to get bored. How to get in touch with your, your inner boredom. It sounds mad, right? But isn't that uh, where we've gotten to? Because, like, when's the last time you stared out the window like you used to when you were a kid in school? You know, that bored kid, you know, bored out of your mind uh, by a subject or teacher that didn't inspire you. Or, you know, or is your daydreaming and boredom being taken up by blue screens? And how are we supposed to get inspired if we're not taking the time away from devices and this whole getting busy, being busy activity? Because, you know, what's wrong with staring at the clouds without taking a photo of them? with your phone uh, unless you're taking a photo of them so you can paint them or something later on because because of the beautiful light or aspect so basically what I'm trying to say is day, day, daydreaming is important it's uh, it's another ingre- ingredient to balance and health because daydreaming is, is to your brain what sleep is to your body and meditation is to your soul basically so so I'd advocate daydreaming. Daydreaming allows you to synthesize what you've already created. It allows it to cook as such. Also, it allows you to process all over again, creating the space to get inspired again. So, so I suppose at the end of the day, yes, relax and pause. You work. So enjoy a hike or a glass of wine. Uh, play the violin like Einstein. You know, you can just do his sailing. You had many ways of decompressing so he actually said some of his greatest physics breakthroughs occurred when he took a break and obviously that's been proven now by uh, 3m and google and stuff with their employees and all this kind of stuff but uh, einstein saw it as connecting different parts of his brain and not in like novel ways so if you walk like an Auden or fish like a hemingway um but you know, stare at the stars too. Like, 
like Oscar Wilde and his his oft-used quote, you know, uh, we're all in the gutter, but some of us are looking at the stars. So, yeah, so I think I'm going to end it there on this idea of balance and health and notebooks and appreciate you listening. And so I started with a quote from a Persian mystic, but as always, I'm, I'm going to end uh, the episode on uh, on an Irish proverb. And this one is, you know, it's a well-known one in English too. Uh, obviously because it came from the original Irish, of course. So <laughs> it literally means uh, health is better than wealth. So health is better than wealth. Is far on slanta, non atanta. Is far on slanta, non atanta. So, as I always rabbit on about, this podcast supported by you, uh, the listener, on my Patreon page. And if you want to support it, um, then go over to patreon.com forward slash John Fanning. And if you can't afford it, uh, usual stuff, you know, cup of tea, pint a month a month, pint a Guinness once a month or something, if you felt like you can actually sit across from me and listen to me blathering on. Um, so if you can't afford that's grand too. Just listen for free. But try and put something on iTunes or wherever you listen to it. Or just tell somebody about if you get an episode that you love or like or think would inspire somebody, then just share it. Um, and then obviously my website's johnfanning.me and all this stuff will be under podcast. Now that social stuff is there as well. Um, so it's been great sharing stuff with you today, as I usually always say. And uh, as I always, yeah, the other part of the thing I always say is uh, try to be benevolent. You know, I'll talk about that again towards the end of all these episodes. So thanks for listening. Shlan live. August Gnari on live.